Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast, presented, of course, by Esports Network. I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today I'm joined by Benjamin Hodge McKenna. He's an esports writer and caster for various FBS titles, but mainly focuses on Rainbow Six Siege and CSGO. Ben, how are you doing today, man? I'm good. I'm uh, excited to be on the podcast and get into this conversation. I think we've got a really interesting topic today. I do as well. What we're talking about is a recent debate in the CSGO community over whether or not the game should change the titles of terrorists and counter-terrorists to to something a bit more sanitized or ad-friendly. Some suggestions have been offense-defense or uh, planters and diffusers. Basically, should the names terrorists and counter-terrorists be changed? It's a very hot-button debate right now. And we're going to get into our thoughts, but first we wanted to run through some of the community reactions from people who have been very established in this scene. Ben, I'm going to start with you. What was your favorite take that you saw from the community on this debate? I think uh, the most significant takes I've seen um, are from both a mixture of Sir Scoots and Duncan Thorin Shields, who are both industry veterans in the CSGO scene. Uh, Duncan Thorin Shields obviously winning Esports Journalist of the Year a couple of years ago, and Sir Scoots has been heavily involved in IEM CSGO broadcasts. Um, Duncan talks about essentially that um, the people who want to change the names from T and CT to attack and defense, it's sort of a, an opening thing for them, right? After you change it, They'll still find other issues with the game. They'll still go, oh, well, it's not the words terrorist that's a problem anymore. It's the fact that uh, you're allowing kids to play with guns in the modern modern gun control debate. And how can that be allowed? Which I think is an interesting take. And um, also, I like Sir Scoots' take on the thing. Uh, he tweeted out on the 30th of September, the entire concept of the game of CS is not brand safe for some advertisers or sponsors. Changing the side names does not change that issue. Almost every esport has to be brand safe for all either. Uh, fighting sports are not brand safe for some advertisers and that's okay and i think that is really the most significant point there in that especially with the comparison to fighting sports is that if you think about how big some of these businesses are and the size of some of these sponsorships going in they spend a lot of money on marketing budgets every year they'll pump millions into finding out exactly who they want to sell to and even before they come in with these sponsorships they've got a key demographic in mind and they know exactly what they want their brand to be associated with the brands that get involved in cs know exactly the demographic that they're targeting and they're there specifically for that reason um it's the same reason that you see uh basically different tiers of videos on youtube as well right you have uh matured classification videos which only allow certain adverts and then they scale down to more family friendly so it's that argument i think is really significant in that fighting sports uh like the ufc and things are still around they still have sponsorship and advertisement it's just of a different caliber of company that wants to get involved absolutely and it's important to point out that There are companies that enjoy this violence and this edgy nature to them. Uh, Some fast food, things like Mountain Dew, even some car brands, are they want to be involved in something that's seen as being a little like risque. They toe the line because that's, like you said, that's their core demographic. Their core demographic aligns with those groups, and that demo might abandon them if they're not willing to meet them where they already are. So. While there are definitely some brands that are hesitant to get into CSGO, I agree There's, it doesn't solve the problem just changing the name. Ultimately, CSGO is still about planting a bomb and in doing so, shooting other people until they're dead. 
That is yeah. the game. And <laughs> it's been around for 20 years. And that won't change. So, I, yeah, most of the reactions from the people who are against changing the name say, why would we change the name when it doesn't really do anything unless we're going to ch- completely change how CSGO is played entirely? And you brought up a really interesting example uh, that I wasn't aware of. So back in the earlier esports boom uh, in the 2007-2008 range, there was something called CGS, and we just looked it up. And basically, they put Counter-Strike on TV, and they changed it pretty dramatically. And at one point, players were being shot, and they would get down on their knees and be arrested. And that's how they tried to bring Counter-Strike to TV. It's an interesting uh, it's an interesting theory, but ultimately, I think they found a much better home on Twitch and in the eSports circuit than trying to push the down a mainstream linear TV route, which is ultimately going to prove futile as you can't show people shooting each other unless it's on, you know, certain channels, certain streaming networks in the past. So that was interesting. I wasn't aware of this of this league and that they tried to do this at one point, but it's interesting to see the historical context behind some of these debates. Yeah, certainly. And with regards to CS being on TV as well, it really does baffle me that certain networks uh, will look at it and go, oh, you can't allow this. It's too violent. But then the same networks will air the latest blockbuster movies, which almost always contain people shooting each other in them and things like that. Violence is so endemic in certain forms of media and can be really important in telling a story. And, when you look at CS, it's not even particularly that violent of a video game. Yes, of course, you've got the rifles, and yes, you are technically shooting other players and things, but it's certainly much more of a tactical um, game than it is a violent one. I could understand maybe if uh, somehow a game like Doom, for example, had uh, a big esports series with that, you know, uh, and Mortal Kombat maybe as well, with those quite gruesome uh, executions and fatalities and things that could really not be shown to the general audience and in the UK at least might have to be on uh, past the watershed. But the idea that you can't have CSGO appear on television because it's too violent and then you can turn around and show you know war movies and things like that. I know also there's a, a program on the History Channel that uses total war reenactments to show historical battles and things. And those that's an example of a video game right there where essentially it's hundreds of people murdering hundreds of people just with medieval weaponry. Um, but that somehow isn't seen as violent. Yeah, I guess if it has a historical context, it's a bit better. I, I absolutely agree. When you look at CSGO, you know, not all the FPS games are in the same genre. In fact, I would say Call of Duty is more aggressively violent as you have things like Hardpoint, which is literally just diving into a point over and over again and respawning. In CSGO, as you can't, respond in each individual map you have to you have to be way more tactical about your decisions call of duty matches are like a dive like you're just running into the same point and you know the the winner has 30 kills and 16 deaths and that's that's like the best player and so you see so many more actual deaths happen so yeah there's there's just a difference in how games portray violence. And CSGO is one of the more tactical ones. You could argue argue Rainbow Six Siege is even a little bit more tactical as you have more options for uh, building, blocking off pathways and strategy and that. But 
you know, they they all are in that same realm of red blood game. Yeah, now, absolutely. Um, sorry, uh, just to make another point on that, you brought up uh, Call of Duty, and th- this is something that uh, a veteran journalist, Richard Lewis, commented on as well. It, there's a lot of people in this debate, seemingly, uh, and a lot of them do come from the Call of Duty scene, and we've seen the quote from... Um, there was a professional Call of Duty player, Lex, who said that um, attack uh, and defend is more desirable and sanitized anyway, and is also easier to the view uh, for the new viewer. And while the latter half of his point, I think, has a lot of merit, um, Richard Lewis comments by saying that, well, why do people think that Call of Duty is more desirable than CS? Because essentially it isn't from an advertising standpoint. Um, and it, it's not the words in Counter-Strike that are limiting these advertisers coming in. It's not the words terrorist versus counter-terrorist. It is the general violent nature of the game. And in that way, uh, just having the sides renamed in Call of Duty doesn't really give it an edge over CS in that respect. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at past Call of Duty titles, you've literally had people playing as Nazis. Like, this is not... That's that, that's the two sides in, in the, the old World War game, like, one side is the allies and one side is the axis. That's those are Nazis. So it's like these games have historically been like, yeah, you know, the past conflict has been two sided and this is a video game. We're not, we're not supporting being a Nazi, but this is a video game. We're not supporting being a terrorist in CSGO. It's just, this is what, warlike conflicts have looked like over history and this is still what they look like yeah um there is something interesting as well i've just remembered is that there is this and also an argument to suggest that just changing the names terrorist and counter-terrorist would just give cs a bit of a break from constantly being ragged on by traditional media i remember i think it was iem sydney 2018 it might have been 2017 um, there was an Australian journalist who was writing about what was going on there. Um, obviously, somebody who had never been uh, to an esports event before. I think he was writing for the Guardian's branch in Australia. Um, and uh, he had a paragraph where he essentially said, ah, oh, one of the desert maps they played, he was talking about Dust 2, uh, involved you planting a bomb on a chemicals weapons cache that then detonated at the end of the round, presumably killing thousands. And even though there's not at any point in any <laughs> history in CSGO where you ever see a civilian, there's no indication that there are any other people uh, anywhere near the map other than uh, the players that are actually playing in the game. And it just goes to show that changing these little points, like changing T versus CT to attack first defense. So I've seen Phoenix versus Alpha proposed, which are two of the, the factions in the game. The Phoenix is the terrorist organization. Uh, in CS, uh, there's argue- people arguing that that should be done, but you're not going to stop the people coming at video games for being violent and trying to paint them as negative for that regard, right? That changing the name is not going to do that. Somebody who has an outside view and looks at it is going to see the core premise of the game and decide that that's bad because somebody is shooting another person and that should not be allowed. I like Phoenix versus Alpha in that it's unique to CSGO and still seems pretty authentic. It's not like, okay, we're just going to go to attack defense. It's still two things that could be well associated with CSGO. I, I, as far as suggestions go, I think that's one of the better ones. Uh, on your point about that journalist, you know, those, those paragraphs drive me crazy. Is he creating yeah. like fictitious uh, death count for the last Marvel movie as they go around New York city, destroying buildings? He's like, Oh, okay. So there's, 
you know, there's got to be 2,000 people that work in that building. It collapsed. So our civilian casualties have got to, like, it's, it's ridiculous. This, these are movies. These are fictitious. You don't get to create an absurd amount of civilians that aren't shown on screen that all died in this, in this clash. That's just not a, you know, and I, I think the guardian might enjoy a little bit of that, the outrage culture. They've, yeah. every, every country has, that's not Australia only, but you know, the UK, the U S we have plenty of uh, newspapers and publications that rely on that outrage factor to generate a lot of clicks. And that was a good way of generating outrage. It annoys me. So good for him, I guess if that was his goal, he succeeded. Yeah, and there's a point as well to bring up that I I will I I don't think ever understand why traditional media demonize uh, video games for being so violent as opposed to uh, films and TV. The only argument I could ever think of is that oh well, it's interactive. When you're watching a film and people are shooting each other, you're not actually doing it. You're not taking control and making those decisions. But then you can easily just counter that with, well, what about the choose your own adventure books, for example? I'm sure there's many paths in choose your own adventure books where it's like, oh, are you going to attack this person or are you going to run away and then turn to page 92 when the person that you've attacked has died? And it's like, well, you've consciously made the decision in that point. Uh, you've technically initiated in the violence and it's all in your own imagination. Admittedly, you're not seeing it, the immediate results on the screen, but you're still responsible for those actions. And it just goes back to the point that people continually try and paint these games as needlessly violent and needlessly aggressive to just get those clicks and farm that outrage, essentially, when there's no evidence to support it. And especially as well, when you look at Oxford University in the UK published a study not too long ago that showed no causal link um, at all between violent video games and aggressive behavior. So the fact that people can then say, oh, you can't have these violent video games because it's creating all these problems and it's making people uh, become violent in the real world is provably and academically false. Yeah, that study was so important given that it came out around the same time that the International Olympic Committee was shying away from esports for the same reason and a couple of others. But they, they highlighted some of the absurdity of why people are viewing video games as this really like this battleground when it shouldn't be. I believe the, the IOC uh, director's quote was that it's glorify. It's a, a representation of violence. And I want to point out that he was a world-class fencer, which is yeah. literally a historical representation of violent fighting where plenty of people died in sword fights throughout our uh, the human history and now they've turned it into a game a competition uh somebody some people call it an art form and for him not to see the parallels between fencing and playing a video game that also represents something that happens throughout human history it, it, it's funny to me because it's just it shows the hypocrisy in action where it's not just that you're you just don't understand video games to the point, And then you're going to try and create the arguments you need to push them away. Even though, you know, there's people who shoot guns in the Olympics in, in the biathlon, how is shooting a gun at a target any different than shooting pixels at other pixels on screen? Yeah. yeah it, it's an absolutely ridiculous argument for him to say that, 
uh, esports uh, encourage a representation of violence is crazy to me. When you think about just some of the traditional sports that exist and some of the violence that can withstand within them, like for example, um, ice hockey, just as an example, uh, you know, there are rules in it that allow players to essentially fight themselves within the ice rink and people have no issue taking their kids to see that, making them a fan of the sport when they're yeah, they literally witnessing people fighting. They have players whose position it is to fight people. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's encouraged in the rules of the sport. Another example is uh, is rugby as well that gets played a lot in Europe. There are compilations on YouTube that you can look at of rugby players getting over-aggressive and doing spear tackles that permanently injure and concuss people. Rugby players that get overly aggressive and deliberately go down onto tackle players and just start like punching them in the face and pummeling their heads in and things. And yet somehow these sports are fine and they're allowed to be broadcast even though these things can happen in them. There is no room for something like that to happen in an eSport, right? You will never see um, outside of, I suppose, the minute example, there was that uh, Madden tournament um, which had an act of violence occur in it, but that was not a direct result of the game. It's an American football game, right? That You can't attribute that to that, and there were many factors that went in to contribute that. But my point is that you will rarely see such genuine physical violence occur between players who are playing an esports match or even like toxicity and arguments afterwards as there sometimes are on the pitches of things like football and of uh, rugby where all teams get together and start shoving each other around and having a bit of a fight and things. That barely ever happens. Nyon never happens at top esports tournaments. And the fact that you can then say, oh, well, they're a representation of violent and they will make the viewers more violent is just preposterous. Yeah, especially with the educational studies to back it up. To add to another sport that has, obviously, American football itself. Absurdly violent. Right now, the NFL has a, quote, feel-good storyline of a player named Ryan Shazier, who was a Pittsburgh Steelers uh, linebacker. He suffered a spinal injury, and people thought he wouldn't be able to walk. And now he's gone through physical therapy, and he's he's hobbling out onto the field to these rousing ovations. And I'm like, okay, guys, that's... He lost his ability to walk for a long time playing this game. We That's fine with us, but let's not... If you're a sponsor of the NFL and you're okay with that, you should probably be okay with, again, pixels taking down other pixels. It's not... There, there is no real violence. And I, I don't know where the disconnect is there, or you're fine with seeing people who, it, CTE is a proven thing in these sports. You get mental illnesses earlier on in your life when you play these sports. And so if you're a sponsor who's okay with supporting that, but not okay with supporting esports that show violence on screen, it's it's easy to question where your priorities lie. Yeah, and I think there could be an argument to suggest as well that a lot of the sponsors at the moment are just playing the political environment. There is obviously uh, the political debate going on in America that video games cause violence despite despite the fact that it's been disproven multiple times. And um, it, it could just potentially be sponsors thinking we don't necessarily want to associate with these violent video games at the point when it's at the forefront of political discussion Um in dealing with tragedies and mass shootings that occur in the country. So that could be a conscious point there. Um, But really, it just boils down to that point again of there will be always be sponsors that will only want to be family friendly and will only want their brand associated with uh, clean and sanitized products. And there will be sponsors that know that they can take advantage of the gap in the market there and they can reach demographics that aren't being advertised to simply by associating their name with these tournaments. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to get too political heavy here, but the reason that this is in politics and in the news again is the American president who said, let's look at violent games as a reason for uh, the mass shootings that are common in this country and common in no other country on earth president. Okay. Not getting into that. We're going to, but you mentioned sponsors that are in certain games. I think it's important before we get into a proper debate about we we've spoken a lot. These have mostly been points from around the community so far. Uh, but we're going to have a, our own personal debate because I'm actually on the minority side on this one. So I'm excited for that. But first, let's run through some of the brands that have worked with CSGO in the past. You have things like McDonald's, which did a really uh, cool activation for IEM where they really embraced the language used in CS. Uh, you've had Mercedes. You've had the U.S. Air Force, which I thought this was really interesting. They sponsored the Cloud9 CSGO team. And, you know, Cloud9, half the time, they're playing on the terrorist side. So Yeah, um, they also sponsored the E-League Boston Major as well. Isn't that isn't that an interesting one where the U.S. Air Force is like uh, is cool with it when half the time they're fighting against what is their number what is America's number one enemy right now? I don't uh, know. I think yeah, I think it's interesting from the uh, the military standpoint is that I think we're entering a period of time now where I think global militaries uh, are really trying to drive up recruitment. I know there's a really big US uh, UK army recruiting drive going on at the minute and they're releasing adverts specifically targeting uh, gamers and things. They 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 released ads where uh, I think it, it cuts from shots between somebody playing on a PS4 to them standing on a, a navy ship or something like that. And so from that point of view, I think it's just that they are desperate to drum up recruitment as much as possible and they realize that they're essentially the core demographic of what uh, the military seeks to recruit into the army, which is um, young men. They are primarily the demographic that are interested in these esports, and it would be too big of a missed opportunity to not do that. Uh, with regards to the fast food and things like that, I think, again, it comes down to this marketing towards the, when you consider it's something uh, ridiculous in CSGO, like 95% or 90% of all viewers are male. Um, it comes down to targeting those individual uh, subsets of demographics. You see a lot of uh, energy drinks companies as well that uh, tie their name to CSGO teams and to CSGO events. And perhaps that is simply just because they want uh, these young men to be seeing their adverts, or perhaps maybe it's a slightly deeper decision. They acknowledge that um, you know young adults, particularly let's say from the range of uh, 16 to 22, they tend to be a little bit more rebellious. They tend to be uh, non-conformist to certain rules and things and perhaps associating with the slightly edgier esports is a way of trying to communicate their brand identity and trying to associate uh, those things together. Yeah, I, I think that is definitely at the core of it. Like if you're Mountain Dew, for example, or you're Bang Energy or G Fuel, you don't want to be a brand that shies away from these games because your audience is going to shun you for that in turn. This is where your audience is at. And you're in this edgy, like we're for gamers. You don't want to be at a place that's like alienating a large section of the gaming population. That's bad for your brand. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Mountain Dew are actually really heavily involved in Counter-Strike. They run uh, the Mountain Dew League, which is the only official qualification route into the ESL Pro League. So they're even sponsoring an entire tournament series that they want named after them, which I personally think is a great thing, right? You see um, MDL viewership isn't 
the highest necessarily because it's not the highest tier of CS, but it certainly has its way carved out um, as a tournament in the circuit. And certainly the final components that earn qualifications are significant. And it's good to have that strong positive brand correlation there. Yeah, absolutely. And being in that scene is good for their brand. That, that's all it comes down to is, is the positive, does the positive outweigh the negative? And the only reason we're actually talking about this right now is because of the big influx of AAA sponsors into other esports. You know, if this was three years ago when when some brands are coming in, but they're mostly endemics, they're mostly Intel, Logitech, chairs, headphones, uh, energy drinks, you, you know, the esports sponsors that have made up the scene for the majority of the last 10 years. Well, in the last couple of years, we've seen things like Nike get involved with League of Legends. We've seen MasterCard get involved with League of Legends. Coca-Cola and T-Mobile get involved with Overwatch. Uh, Gillette get involved with, I, I believe, League of Legends and Overwatch. Yeah, they're with the craft-owned uh, Boston team in the Overwatch, and they did some League of Legends activations at IEM Katowice. And I bring that up because they are an interesting case study. I did an Adweek article uh, last winter about brands and how they see violence in esports. And Gillette had the most interesting answer. They rolled out an activation in IEM Katowice for the League of Legends portion. Then the event shifts to CSGO, the arguably the largest CSGO, annual CSGO event mm-hmm. uh, every single year, and they rolled back their activation. They did not want to be seen as associated with CS, even, even though they brought all the things they needed to do an activation at a massive event with tens of thousands of, of people joining. And that, to me, was really interesting because it shows a little bit of where some companies are pulling out. You know, this does matter to a lot of companies. The question is, does changing terrorists and counter-terrorists mean that Gillette doesn't roll back that activation? What do you think? Well, the Gillette example is really perplexing to me because on the one hand, they won't get involved in CSGO, but they will sponsor Dr. Disrespect, whose uh, one of his catchphrases is violent speed and momentum. And they'll happily engage with that. And he quite often um, basically plays these violent video games that are BRs like uh, the COD BR, PUBG and things like that. So they'll be they'll happy on the one hand to do that, but not get involved in CSGO, which I think is really uh, interesting from a standpoint. And the reason why they're doing that immediately isn't clear to me. And some of these other sponsors that you've mentioned, I think there are different ways uh, to explain them. Coca-Cola specifically as well, um, I think is largely involved with the Overwatch League because uh, Bobby Kotick, who is the CEO of Activision Blizzard, also sits on the board for Coca-Cola. So I can't imagine that would have been a very difficult conversation to get them involved in the Overwatch League. And while Nike and things like that, and also Gucci as well, getting involved in the latest League of Legends um, brand activations they're not getting involved in cs but you are seeing apparel apparel companies that are jack and jones is the most notable one for me they uh they do all of astralis's apparel um and that might be because they, they're a primarily danish brand but they have expanded quite far across europe and things like that and they seem unafraid to get into cs and i think as well with gillette when you look at um that now famous advert that they released about toxic masculinity there's clearly a line somewhere right. Uh, that they don't want to cross, but it's <laughs> very interesting to see where that actually is. Yeah, you have, I mean, these brands have all focused, uh, obviously Nike supporting Kaepernick very heavily, uh, 
Coca-Cola doing that really ill-fated Kardashian or what Kylie Jenner equality ad. Do you remember? Was that Pepsi or is that Coke? I don't want to get this. I'm not sure. I think that might've only rolled out in the U S so I don't think I saw that one. Possibly. Basically it was like, there's a lot of police brutality and protests and Kylie Jenner offers a police officer. Coca Cola. Oh yeah. That was Pepsi. Yeah. That was Pepsi. Okay. My bad Coca-Cola. Pepsi. (laughs) You suck. Um, For that ad, I won't disparage your entire company for just one ad, but yeah, that's, you know, that's the kind of image that these brands largely want to portray. And I'm not going to get into the Bobby Coca-Cola Overwatch connection. I think that's agreed. That's a little, it may have been a favor, but they are also, you know, there's some money changing hands there and they see it as a, as some sort of value. Uh, Gillette answered to me that they draw the line at red blood, blue blood. And that's, you know, where, wherever uh, Dr. Disrespect is basically, Overwatch is, has giant gorillas with Tesla cannons and uh, different space things. It, it's a fantasy world, very clearly set in a fantasy world, versus Red Blood being, you know, direct war recreations. That's CSGO, Call of Duty, Rainbow Six. And how, how much that really matters is, you know, maybe that's just where they chose to draw the line. Uh but it, it does feel a little bit like, yeah, the Dr. Disrespect thing is funny because he is a guy that only really plays those red blood games. You know what his major titles, if you look at his streamed hours, are going to be Apex and PUBG, right? Or, yeah, it's, it's probably Apex and PUBG. I think those are just a little bit of the, the Call of Duty blackout as well, but it's mainly Battle Royale games. Yeah, and it's not Fortnite. So it's the Battle Royale games that are not the one blue blood game, which is Fortnite, because Fortnite has Epic Games' ability to keep that game uh, accessible to seven-year-olds has been just incredible, uh, incredible work for them to become as popular as they did while still catering to the 6 to 11 age demo. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we can actually look at some other games as well to see what kind of changes they've made and how that's affected them. So the two main examples I've got here are PUBG and Rainbow Six Siege, and that's mainly because they are traditionally Red Blood games that have made changes um, to their formats. So Rainbow Six Siege, uh, their attack and defend sides have always been called attack and defend, and they made the decision where you plant a diffuser instead of a bomb, which I don't know um, whether that's interesting. But uh, also something to note there is that all of their operators are still counter-terrorists. Um, they are still real life, uh, essentially, uh, however you want to call it, they're branches of government, police forces, law enforcement, whatever word you want to use, you still have to kill those people um, within the game. Uh, they removed blood splatters from it in late 2018 as well. And they removed skulls, gambling references and changed the melee icon from a knife to a fist. Now, with these decisions, and as well with the PUBG global tournament, where in your normal game of PUBG, it will be a red blood game, but for their uh, PUBG Invitational, it's a blue blood game and they have blue damage. I think both of these things are largely done, again, to access that Chinese market. Um, you see as well, you know, for example, the World of Warcraft client is quite famous for replacing all of its skulls in its Chinese client with loaves of bread or something, which can lead you through some very interesting uh, dungeons and raid runs in terms of some really? of the assets that are in there. But I, I certainly think that, that they do that. They replace <laughs> loaves of bread. Yeah, it's uh, it's loaves of bread, or or yeah, yeah, I think it has to be loaves of bread. But you can you can just Google it, and you'll find the images on the Chinese client. There's one dungeon called <coughs> Scholomance, which is essentially an undead crypt, 
And uh, obviously, there are piles of skulls everywhere. But on the Chinese client version, it's just piles of loaves of bread. So um, I think these decisions from both of those other games have been made pretty much to cater towards that Chinese market instead of uh, trying to accrue more sponsorship. Because I think that they won't necessarily have difficulty recruiting non-endemic brands into uh, these red blood, uh, violent, more violent, I should say, games. It's just a matter of finding the right companies that are willing to get in. Yeah, that's true. And when you have access to places like Mountain Dew and McDonald's, how many sponsors do you really need? That's, I guess, one of the big questions. And it's not like esports organizations that have a CSGO team can't bring in sponsors because they have a CSGO team. Like yeah. Puma and Cloud9 is a good example. They have a pretty expansive partnership uh, and some new work coming out soon. Actually, it's going to be pretty cool. But they Cloud9 has a CSGO team. And Puma doesn't directly advertise in CSGO, but they don't care that Cloud9 has one of those teams. They don't care that, I guess, C9 doesn't have a, a Call of Duty team. But my point is that, you know, esports organizations don't need to get rid of games in this title to bring in sponsors. It's only for the events and activations themselves. And how many sponsors do you really need? Yeah, would Nike be cool? Would MasterCard be cool? Probably yes, but if you have a global partnership with McDonald's, are you really that beat up about it and you don't have to uh, sacrifice the core part of your game that's been around for basically 20 years now? I, I don't think that's that huge of a deal to the tournament organizers who have never really struggled to find at least a solid row of sponsors to bring on. Yeah, I think that also CSGO uh, and some of the other esports uh, that are akin to it fill quite an important space for advertisers in the market. Um, if you look at Fortnite tournaments and the Overwatch League, uh, something that is immediately uh, prevalent to me when looking at the sponsors that isn't the case in CSGO is that in uh, Fortnite and the Overwatch League, there aren't very many, if none, uh, gambling sponsors. Whereas in CSGO, Almost every high tier event has official gambling sponsors and will offer you, uh, they'll have graphics that will show you the odds throughout the broadcast and things like that and actively promote uh, that you gamble with them. And I think that is really important from that respect in that because of the core premise of Counter-Strike and because of its nature, it's immediately apparent that it's a more mature game designed for a more mature audience. And that allows advertisers to comfortably, uh, sorry, gamblers to gambling platforms there we are to uh comfortably advertise within those tournaments knowing that they're more likely to get an older demographic whereas you might uh call into question the corporate responsibility of a gambling platform that advertised on Fortnite, which is a game designed to be largely played by children it's actually a really interesting point i had never thought about that and how there are these you can make the same argument for alcohol or tobacco or anything else that comes with an age restriction or even the military if the military was advertising on Fortnite, that would be a pretty bad look. But they can do it on CSGO because it's implied based on the content that the game is only for people who are 18 plus. Obviously, not only 18 plus people view it, but you can make that argument that, hey, we're not targeting a younger demo because we're associating ourselves with a mature game. And if a younger demo was watching that game, well, that's on them. Yeah, absolutely. And um, 
as well, a lot of the time you will see uh, the mature broadcast filters and things like that ticked on uh, for different Counter-Strike events. And also the way that you can sort of justify that these younger people shouldn't be watching the games is that they shouldn't be playing them. Uh, if <laughs> it's a tournament where it has an ESRB rating of 18+, plus, for example, you can't really hold um, a corporate sponsor responsible uh, for children seeing gambling advertisements if as far as they're concerned they are advertising on a product that shouldn't be played by anyone who's under the age of 18 and it leads back to the whole is renaming it going to bring in more sponsors because that is fundamentally the main argument Th- those are the points people are making is that you have to take this word terrorist out of the game because it's turning sponsors away but i don't think it- it's that surface level i think in order to make enough changes to where you can lower the the age ban age ban sorry um for those sponsors and make it a more family friendly game you would have to completely change uh, the core premise of how the game works and i think you would have to change it so much to a point that the esport no longer becomes uh, worth watching in the way that it is and it significantly damages both the player base and viewership yeah and then if you damage that viewership you've had a net negative. You can bring in, say, what well, we've been using Gillette. So you bring in Gillette, but your viewership drops by an average of 30,000 viewers for each tournament. That's a net negative for your company. Uh, yeah. Decidedly so. So, uh, yeah, I agreed. But let's get into the actual pros and cons of the name debate. And we've been talking about a lot of it. You could probably get an idea of where we're at here. Uh, but Ben, I'm going to let you go first. What do you think... CSGO should do? Should they change the name or not? Uh, I don't really, uh, I don't think so, is my fundamental point. I don't think that changing it it alone is enough to um, bring in the sponsors and change the view of the game in traditional media in the way that people expect it to. And as a result, I'm not necessarily against the names being changed, but I'm against the change from a fundamental point of view of its effort and a decision that you have to make that will not change anything and doesn't necessarily need to be made. I agree with the general premise. I don't think it goes far enough. And I think that is the major issue is, will this bring in sponsors? Yes or no. And the answer is probably no, just to change the name. Now, my counterpoint actually comes down to how it's worded in the you have terrorists who counter terrorists, and you know attack and defense feels a little too generic. Phoenix and Alpha is a really interesting point to me because you can still have the authentic CS:GO names without directly calling them terrorists. So it's do you lose anything by changing that? And what you can gain is maybe it's not a new sponsor, but you have a CS:GO YouTuber anomaly who says that. He gets uh, videos demonetized on YouTube because they say terrorist in the title. And if you can change it to Phoenix and Alpha, then maybe you get around some of that. You get maybe a couple more media headlines that that can say this on the Google SEO. And maybe you don't get knocked by Google as much. It's a smaller things, but if you can find a way to change the names that keeps it authentic to CSGO... I think it's still possible. It also opens up more merchandising opportunities. You're not going to sell, you know, something that says terrorists win as a t-shirt. At least I, maybe you, you, you will, but 
who's going to buy that and wear that around like the yeah. London, you know, not going to happen. But if it says Phoenix win or it's something to, to do with that, maybe there's some more opportunities for merchandising. So while I don't think it's a catch all, bring in a bunch of new sponsors who are hesitant to join in. I think there are some actual positives that could come with a name change as long as you make it authentic and you don't just sort of sanitize it by quote. So if you could find a good way of changing those names to something a little different, that's not quite as harsh, but still captures CSGO's authentic authenticity. I think it's worth looking at. I do think that the anomaly point is in, in my mind, at least the most uh, significant uh, one for being in favor of change. I think that it has the most weight to suggest that you will give more freedom then to these CSGO content creators um, to not worry about necessarily being demonetized as much uh, because we do know the, the way the YouTube algorithm works is that it pretty much filters out things entirely based on keywords and then will check for violent content or anything like that later. And we also know they don't have necessarily a problem with showing violent video games and videos and things like that, or even advertising them. I've seen Doom Eternal adverts on YouTube, so I don't see why um, having content with just those games in there uh, is anything wrong. So from a pure YouTube demonetization point of view, I think that that is really significant. Um, an argument I'd make on the other side, though, against changing the names is that it's more about what it says about the attitudes of Valve as a company, right? Uh, the fact that the argument comes up and they say you have to change uh, terrorists versus counter-terrorists to attack versus defend or Phoenix versus Alpha because it's no longer acceptable in the political climate. And if they do decide to make that change, Valve are essentially saying that we understand that there is this core premise of the game and it's been this core concept ever since its creation way back 15 years ago. But we're going to change that now because people think it's a little bit too offensive. And if you're willing to make that change, this is a point that FM Pone makes, who is uh, a map creator of Cash, which is one of the most significant maps in the Counter-Strike competitive map pool. The initial thing that he tweeted out in response to this was, open quote, appeasement is futile and authenticity is worth fighting for. And I think that is a really important point to make in that if Valve show that they are willing, maybe it's only something small at the moment like the name, but they are willing to change those names and concede the ground because it's too offensive, what happens two years down the line if the gun control debate uh, gets more significant, for example? Uh, would they then change all the guns to something equivalent to a Nerf gun or something like that, for example, or have it be some form of laser tag weaponry? You know, By making this initial concession to changing the name you potentially end up setting a dangerous precedent that could lead you down a path that irreversibly changes the whole core premise of counter-strike it's a fair point and the slippery slope argument has pros and cons i think there's sometimes it's used uh so i'm i'm an american obviously and we talk about the gun control debate a lot of times you know, right now there's there's bills on the table that would uh, increase background checks and make it harder to procure AR-15 rifles. And a lot of the people who are pro-gun control turn this into the government wants to take all your guns. And it becomes this like, well, if we let them take one, will they take all of them? And people are literally dying from military grade weapons in this country. And so that's my only hesitant with the slippery slope argument it's like i think we could find i think at a certain point you can do some things 
without it eventually taking hold of everything. Because the people who are yelling about how the government wants to take all your guns, and those are you know, prominent politicians in America, there is no basis for that. There is absolutely no basis. People just are saying, hey, increase background checks. Hey, we should have longer waiting times. We should be able to check the mental health of people who want to buy these weapons. Maybe we should make some weapons only available to the military and not available to public. And yet it somehow becomes take all guns. And so I see some similar slippery slippery slope logic being used. And maybe that's just because it's so close to the actual gun control issue here that I think there's some way of doing small changes that doesn't immediately lead to them becoming squirt guns. You know what I mean? Yeah. My uh, my argument here was more um, uh, uh, based in the fact that there are entities and traditional media entities that are against the core premise of Counter-Strike. If they had their way, like, for example, let's use the IOC as an example, and they say that it's a representation of violence. If the IOC had their way, uh, CSGO would not be an eSport. It would not be around. Uh, its core premise is just inherently too poor um, from their viewpoint, and it, it's too problematic to allow children to participate in. And my point is, moreover, that by making this initial change, you are making the first of a, a, a an initial small concession to a group of people that would, it, given the option, take away everything, right? They would remove the guns from the game and they would say, you can't have violent video games, they're bad and they should only be clean, blue-blood esports and things like that because it, it's just too problematic is the word that always gets thrown around, right? Um, and that was more where my standpoint was coming from, from that. And I think it'll be interesting to see what Valve actually does with this at the moment, because it's very apparent to me as a CSGO fan that uh, they put most of their resources into Dota 2 and the Dota 2 esports scene. And it seems like, especially when you're seeing things like the response to the Star Ladder major DMCA takedowns, where they essentially said, oh, you shouldn't be taking down stuff, but they actually can do it, but please don't do the DMCAs. It seems to be that Valve are beginning to take more of an approach where they just want to do what's easiest with Counter-Strike at the moment. The game isn't receiving as regular updates. It's not receiving more content, and it seems to me that it's more of an afterthought um, to Dota 2 from them as a business at the moment. And uh, as a result, I think that they are just going to make whatever changes are easiest. I think that for example, let's say that we had that Carmack poll, who's the head of IEM, and 40,000 people uh, replied to it and 70% in favor of CT and T's remaining as the same name and 30% um, thinking against it. I think if you saw those numbers switch around in the other direction, it wouldn't be very long before Valve did something because it seems to me at the moment that they're just trying to take the path of least resistance at this point. Oh, that There is no doubt about that. In fact, I think a lot of this discussion is more of a thought experiment than actually what Valve is going to do. Uh, Valve historically is impossible to contact. I mean, they have, I, I, I saw an article, maybe it was a couple of years ago, so I'm not sure if it's still true, but they have the highest rate of revenue per individual employee. I just Googled Yeah, I had that too. Yeah, you've seen that? It's They have about 360 total employees for a company worth $2.5 billion. That's yeah, and, absurd. Yeah, and also the way that their corporate structure works is that, that they pride themselves on being that efficient per employee, right? And as a result, the way their corporate structure works, it isn't like uh, they have a set CSGO team and they have a set Dota team. 
to my knowledge, there is a degree of freedom between people to decide uh, what tasks that they want to work on. And I think there are a small subgroup of people within Valve that uh, do really care about CSGO and uh, do want to make uh, the changes. Well, maybe not make the changes, but they want to improve the game as much as they can and they want to help sustain its esports system. But the way it works is that if they want to get resources allocated to them uh, to improve the game, to invest into the esports scene, they have to pitch that to the corporate committee. And if they're pitching it, uh, for example, let's say, I don't know, they're looking for a million dollars to invest. They want to double the prize pool of the CSGO majors, right? So they want to bring it up to two million instead of one million. Um, They have to compete for that money with the Dota team that could just say, or uh, we could use that money to invest in our eSport. And because our eSport has more tournaments in the circuit, um, it has a wider variety of teams in it, and it's more advertiser and external friendly, we should just be doing that instead. And that also, I think, is something that's a contributor to why we may not see the change or may not see the change that the community are expecting. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. I think if that poll goes the other way, 70 to 30, uh, with people voting in favor of changing it, then yes, the Valve just does it, but they just don't want to spend that much mental energy on it. And they don't want to talk to all the experts and talk to sponsors because you're going to have to do... You know, to figure this out, you're going to have to do market research over, will this affect the audience? Will this affect viewership? What sponsors will then be able to come in? And for a company of 360 employees that just literally prints money through Steam every single day, they don't really have any motivation to do that. It's not Activision Blizzard trying to create the next global sports league. Valve just lets other companies run their tournaments anyway. They're totally hands-off with this, and there's no real indication that now they're going to go hands-on. I think the only way it happens is if you get places like ESL and IEM to then to put pressure on Valve, like, hey, we want to change this because we want to bring in sponsors. I really think that's the only way to enact this change. Valve themselves are not going to do it without somebody else putting pressure on them to change. Well, it's interesting, actually, uh, as well, because uh, we we talked uh, a bit about Richard Lewis and his opinions on here. And he did say in uh, one of the episodes of uh, By the Numbers, which is his talk show and podcast recently, that he does think the change is coming. He thinks at some point uh, soon you are going to see Valve just make the decision for making the decision's sake because it isn't necessarily a major one. It doesn't really change that much. And even if it's just to avoid criticism, that's something uh, that Valve might go for at that point. And as well, I think that the amount of attention Valve have been paying to CSGO uh, has diminished greatly because of how much less money uh, they now make off of the the skins and the microtransactions than they did before. I think the whole CSGO lotto and skins gambling casinos and things like that have obviously forced Valve to put the restrictions on trading um, for fear of, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, what what's the name? Is it the FEC? Uh the FCC, is that the Financial yeah, Conduct Authority or something like that? Yeah, in, the Federal in the US? Um, Currency Commission. I don't know. Yeah, the FCC. Yeah. I think. It's it's the F- yeah. So basically out of fear of the FCC and getting involved and saying, 
uh, there's underage gambling going on in your game through Skins Casinos and you're allowing it. They've had to put these heavy trade restrictions on Counter-Strike items, which in itself damaged the internal Skins economy. And you see uh, YouTubers like Anomaly as an example. They were have been complaining pretty much since the change has been introduced that it's ruined the whole sub-trading economy that you could get and ways for people to make money through the game. And as a result, I think you've seen the decreased revenue in Skins just general skin sales um, being received by Valve because less people are interested in the skin economy now that it can't be exploited in such a way. And as a result, the arguments become much harder to make to invest in the game when it's not uh, cent for cent as profitable as Dota is to run. Yeah, and CSGO is so steady as well. You know, for all the investment they make in Dota, the viewership of it isn't particularly high. It gets really high at the international, but CSGO has a more steady stream of viewers. So if Valve is going to focus on, you know, those are their two main titles, they're going to focus on one, Dota's A sees more competition from the other MOBAs out there, especially with the investment Riot Games makes in League of Legends. You know, Riot Games has 5,000 employees at least compared to Valve's 360. And so CSGO has been around for 20 years. They're established. But Dota 2, you have the StarCraft example a little bit of a game that's in that same vein, obviously a bit different in strategy and viewership, but they definitely don't want Dota to fall off. And CSGO has just proved that it's, you know, it's steady, it's going to run, it's going to have their dedicated fan bases. So if I was Valve and I only had, you know, if I was Valve, I'd hire another 600 employees, but they're not going to do that. So they're just going to focus on the game that's, I think, in a little bit more danger Maybe they like Valve. Obviously, Dota is also Gabe's baby. So that, yeah, I was going to make that point as well. <laughs> that's the other point to it. Like he just loves Dota, and he's so rich, filthy rich, that he doesn't. He's just going to focus on the game he enjoys more. But I also do think Dota is in a little bit more danger than CS:GO in terms of general popularity falling off. Uh, in terms of viewership, there's there could be an argument to support that. It does have a wider. What does, it has more of a tournament circuit as well in the fact that they have uh, m- more than two majors that we have in CS and then one international that is essentially equivalent to a Counter-Strike major. Um, and so they do have a wider circuit in that regard. Personally, I like the CSGO tournament tournament format more having two majors a year because I view the major in CSGO as as significant as the international in Dota. So you get two of them a year in CS, which is important. But if you just look at the history of Valve and thing, you look at the changes that they brought into Dota in terms of improving the viewer experience, in terms of allowing teams to have their logos on flags in the game and in their own spawns. And we have seen team logos appear on gloves in CS before, but that I think has come from custom client editing um, from the side of individual tournament organizers. And when you look at the things they have in Dota, like the crowd, uh, funding for the international and stuff as well. If you think about how easy that is to introduce into CSGO and Valve still haven't done it, um, it does indicate to me that it's not their priority and the changes that they're going to make and maybe you know it does end up as attack and defense. Maybe they view it as, are oh, you just future-proofing the game from that criticism uh, from now on. You're only going to see changes like that for me now. You're only going to see them change the name and then not address it anymore or uh you know as opposed to putting the effort in and trying to actively develop the ecosystem of the game 
Can you imagine if CSGO majors had the, the crowdfunding aspect? Yeah. What do you think it would the be... prize pool would shoot up to? Like you could do it twice a year, so it'd be, you know, the international gets a full year to, to build up, but it you'd immediately see CSGO become inarguably the world's number one esport. Right now it's, you know, the top three, top two with League of Legends. Like, I really don't know if there's an argument for another one to join those ranks, I, it depends on what you want to quantify it based as, but not in my mind, I see CSGO and League of Legends as the two largest esports in the world. I, I don't know if that's backed up. They're totally different formats, different viewership, different demos, different countries they're popular in. So it's really hard to like really make clear classifications of what the biggest esports are. But, you know, CSGO is just the history of it, the popularity of it. The consistent scene always surrounding it, it it's got to be in those top top couple. Yeah, absolutely. And I, again, it just yeah, it, it reinforces a sentiment I've had for a while, actually. When you consider that, I normally just go off of a tier-based esports system. So I consider CS, League of Legends, Dota 2, and Overwatch, I think, um, as the tier one uh, esports. When you consider that Valve operates two tier one esports, clearly shows favoritism towards one of them and uh, also then doesn't comment on things like this publicly. And the last time we had a new operation in Counter-Strike was well over 400 days ago now or something like that. So there's no real new gameplay being brought to the game. Um, It just indicates to me that if I had to weigh down on it, I'd probably say they do it um, just because it is easier for them to come out and say, we are switching to attack and defense than it is for them to come out and say, no, we are sticking with terrorists versus counter-terrorists because I think that they would come under more traditional media scrutiny defending the fact that they want players to allow themselves to be called terrorists um, than they do by renaming the sides. What if we change it into something, so it's not just maybe attack and defense, but right now it's all based around terrorists. You have one group, which is terrorists, and the other is counter-terrorists, which is kind of a weird way of framing it, just from a language perspective, of you're basically highlighting the bad group and then saying this is the anti-bad group. You know what I mean? I, I suppose so. I don't know whether that's as strong as an argument, though, because counter-terrorist and counter-terrorism is literally the word that governments have come up with to deal with terrorists, right? So um, I don't know whether it has so much individual merit um, on that particular point. But again, I think renaming it to something like Phoenix versus Alpha is a good middle ground. Um, It's a way of them keeping the core themes and storylines of the game in it. Um, because the Phoenix organization in uh, the operations are often uh, the main bad guys. Um, And also moving away from, again, the words that people view as problematic, which maybe is just worth changing the name at this point, just just to stop the the criticism and the scrutiny, the the needless and endless um, discussion about how, quote-unquote, problematic these words are to have. Yeah, it definitely feels like Phoenix versus Alpha is the best possible option. You don't, that doesn't necessarily come across as sanitization as much. Obviously, for a second, you know, Richard Lewis and Thorin are going to 
have a little little diatribe about censorship in games, and they'll be they'll have merit towards it. But because Phoenix is already tied to the terrorist group in CS:GO, it's not going to feel that inauthentic. Where it's like we're still calling them terrorists, we're just calling them by their name instead of a general terrorist, which can then be associated with actual real life terrorists. That feels like a reasonable middle ground. Will it actually change anything? I'm not sure. I think one other thing I want to bring up and my final uh, pro for changing the name, we talk about the YouTube algorithm, but there's other algorithms that this can also impact. We don't know really what Google's algorithm looks like. We don't really know what Twitter's algorithm, what, what tweets you get fed. There is a solid chance that they have things in place that take off certain words they, that a, you know, when, when they can give you a result based on something and it's terrorist, like if you were to Google Phoenix and CSGO and you were to Google terrorist and CSGO, I just think your results might be different and it might be a way of getting it further away from actual real world violence and into these video game worlds, which is, again, the whole goal we want. Obviously, as gamers, we can disassociate what's actually happening in the world with games because they are games. And we've, we've had we've covered that plenty. But for a lot of people who don't see this and this is their first experience, having just a tiny bit of separation, if you can do it authentically, to me, I still think that's a good thing. And I think it can help with YouTube, with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, they might be more willing to promote this content if the names are changed. Maybe they will, and maybe it's just the algorithm. It's not even a human controlling it and being like, well, that's still violent. But if the algorithm then starts putting things higher, you put CSGO tweets, feeds them to more people, even if you're not necessarily following those same people, that'll be good for the scene as a whole. And it's a relatively innocuous change. Maybe it's slippery slopes and we get into this really weird weird zone in the future where we're debating this again. But for now, I, I don't think that change itself is going to hurt CSGO and it could help it. Yeah, I think that that that's the standpoint. Uh, I take a similar standpoint on that as well. I do think the point you make about the search engine algorithms is really interesting. Um, and if changing the names, like for example, people seeing more tweets now where, uh, it says, uh, you know, Cloud Nine's Phoenix side as opposed to Cloud Nine's terrorist side was very strong. And if those reach more people, you've got more eyes on the esport, which is good in my opinion. The only thing that I would worry about is that in those algorithms, Counter Strike has already been categorized as this caliber of thing that can only be promoted to this caliber of people. And I don't know whether that algorithm then is smart enough to understand that because the names of the sides have changed, that then gets Counter-Strike as a game and a concept out of whatever band of promotion it's currently in. That's absolutely fair. You know, the game's been around for 20 years, which is one of the best arguments for not changing it. We've done it for 20 years. Why are we going to let the current political climate dictate that we need to change it now? What's changed? There's terrorism 20 years ago, too. Why is it? Why is terrorism now something you absolutely cannot have your game be associated with? Is it because esports are bigger now? Is it because terrorism has gotten worse? I don't think so. I, I don't think so at all. I think there's been pretty consistent, horrific acts happening throughout all of human history. So 
I don't know. I, I, I guess for if you're Valve, you you take the path of least resistance. That's what their company has done in the past, and I think that's what we have to assume they'll do now. They'll probably let this news cycle fade away. If it comes back up and it comes back up and they're tired of dealing with it, they might just change the name. But yeah, I think so too. Yeah, that's sort of where we're at now. Ben, we're at we're at over an hour now. I think this was a great discussion. I want to give you a closing remark. Was there anything else, last point you wanted to get in on this whole debate, everything we've talked about here? I think we've covered everything pretty much comprehensively. Again, I just sort of would like to reinforce the viewpoint of um, changing the name is not going to bring more sponsors in and it's not going to make the game more advertiser friendly. But at the same time, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing to change it, right? I don't think that changing the name is going to harm the game, as you've mentioned. And maybe even if it only brings in one sponsor that was teetering over the edge, then that could potentially be a good thing. But in my mind, it's not a change that needs to happen for the eSport to succeed. And it'll be interesting to see what Valve decide to go with. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Where can uh, people read you? Where can they watch you? Uh, Where are you at right now? Uh, well, the mainly social media I'm on is Twitter at Protalis22. Um, I also do CSGO broadcasting. I'm going to be doing a lot of the WESG online qualifiers that begin uh, at the end of October all the way through December. Beautiful. I'll link your Twitter in his guest page. Go check out Ben's work if you want another source on CSGO. Not CS CS source, but a source for CSGO news. <laughs> uh, talk to him about the CGS because it's hilarious. Actually, can we bring back the jerseys for the CGS? I'm in on those. Yeah, sure. Um, (laughs) Essentially, their idea was that they didn't feel that the models should be wearing the full military outfits. So uh, they all basically had sports bibs and jerseys on like you'd see in a high school or something when you're choosing teams uh, with the different numbers on them and things just to make it look like more of a sport, which I thought was uh, (laughs) really interesting. I liked it. I liked it. I I liked the continuity between... The people on stage and the people in game. To me, that actually matters in building an esports popularity because you want people to associate, especially for the casual fan. Obviously, if you've watched a lot of CSGO, you understand, yes, that's that person. But if you can build up the uh, the relationship between the person controlling it and the person who you see on the screen, I actually think that has uh, sponsorship benefits for those individual players and popularity benefits. For them, so maybe hey, no, no need for the kneeling and being arrested after being shot. But let's give the sports jerseys another shot. I'm I'm in on them. I don't know. <laughs> All right, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining me, Ben. Check out his work below. I hope you guys enjoyed this esports network podcast. So thanks for listening. Have a good one.